You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Well, we're going to be in, uh, we're going to start in John 4 tonight, John chapter 4. And uh, one of the subjects that I've, I've considered dealing with for a while now is the idea of worship. And uh, I, I taught a Sunday school series here in the sanctuary on worship a couple years ago. And based it on the, the there's a book uh, by actually Brother Dave Hardy, uh, Brother Samuel's grandfather. He wrote a book called Worship and the Ear of God a number of years ago. I say a number of years ago, within the last six or seven years probably. And he's done quite a bit of study on the biblical idea of worship. And in teaching through that book, I came away thinking it would be good for our church uh, to hear some of those lessons and some of those thoughts that he put together to gain a more biblical understanding of worship. And um, so this is going to be a more topical series, and we'll probably do it uh, for a little bit here. I don't know exactly how long. Um, I mean, I've turned Genesis 49 into five messages, so you just never know how long a series is going to be. Um, but for uh, a, about a month, maybe maybe a, a couple months, and a topical approach to this subject of worship. And, and so just so you understand, there will be times where we will take a verse and use it and then move on to the next verse. And that's a difference uh, between topical preaching and expository preaching. And in, in expository preaching, you take a passage and you walk through the passage and, and kind of bring out what's there in a topical series. It's almost really more like a Bible study. Um, which a lot of people call their Wednesday night service. They call a Bible study uh, service. And so this might feel a little bit more like that in, instead of the expository manner in, in which I normally preach. But, but there's value in both, obviously. And it, very, very often, you know, one text of the Bible doesn't give you all of the exhaustive understanding of a certain subject. And so um, John 4 is where we're going to start. So if you've got it, go ahead and stand And we'll read beginning in verse 20, John chapter 4, uh, verse 20, and read down through verse 26. And uh, does anybody know, just off the top of your head, what's the story in John chapter 4? The Samaritan woman, right? Uh, The the woman at the well, um, if your your Bible, mine has chapter headings. It says the woman at Jacob's well here. And uh, so this is obviously Jesus Christ in his interaction with this woman at the well And so we'll read, beginning in verse 20, it says, uh, well, verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Um, She was very insightful, okay? We'll start with that. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, we know, or we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And when when he says, I 
that speaketh unto thee am. I am. I mean, I can just imagine like wind rushing and almost knocking her over because Jesus just said, I am. I am the one you've been looking for. He is the one that deserves to be worshipped. And tonight, I'm just asking the question, where's the worship? Because God seeks, according to this passage, God is seeking true worship from true worshipers. And not only that, I mean, the book of Psalm is full of commands to worship. Psalm 95 says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. God seeks worship and God commands worship. So the idea tonight is simply this. Where is the worship? Thank you for standing. You may be seated, seated, and may God bless the reading of his word. I remember when I was a kid, uh, there was a series of commercials out, and the, the tagline was this, where's the beef? Anybody remember where's the beef? And uh, does anybody remember what restaurant it was for? Wendy's, okay. I figured that would, we would know that one. Wendy's, where's the beef? And you've got some little old ladies driving in a big car, and they're driving down the road and they're looking in a hamburger and they're saying, where's the beef? There's no beef in the burger. And although everyone claims to have beef in their burgers, uh, sometimes it's hard to find the beef in a burger is the idea. And it's obviously a trite illustration, but in some ways I think the same concept applies to worship. See, many people claim to have worship. Many people uh, say we are worshiping and we have uh, Sunday morning worship services. I mean, we call our services worship, our service on Sunday morning, we call it a worship service. On Sunday night, a worship service. We, uh, we, we say there's worship, worship, and if you're a church these days, that's one of your selling points. We worship. Come worship with us. But the idea tonight, though, is where is the worship? See, as you understand what worship is, and as you gain a biblical understanding of it, you might start to think it's not as common as we think it is. And, and we won't necessarily get into the definition of worship tonight because uh, I'm just going to present some opening thoughts tonight. But as we understand worship, we might find it's not as common as we thought. See, when Christ was speaking to the woman at the well here, the question of where the proper worship takes place comes up. And, and there are people that think that she may be trying to deflect the conversation because Jesus has just said um, that he's just kind of called out her adultery and, and she's trying to deflect it. I mean, I don't know exactly what was in her thinking, uh, but I do know that Jesus took the time to answer it. And so it was something that was valuable information. So the Samaritans, um, uh, you know, there's a history with the Jews and the Jews intermingled with uh, the Canaanites and the people of the land and those, Samar those became Samaritans. And so the pure blood Jews couldn't stand the Samaritans. The Samaritans couldn't stand the Jews. And the Samaritans uh, started their own worship um, on Mount Gerizim. And they say, well, Moses built an altar on Mount Gerizim. That's how we justify worshiping on Mount Gerizim, Either though, even though God had obviously commissioned Jer Jerusalem to be the place of worship where worship takes place. So Jesus, though, so that's the conversation. And the idea is that the Samaritan woman is saying, well, we worship in Ger at Gerizim, you worship in Jerusalem, which is the proper place to worship. And, and Jesus says, well, you don't really know what you're worshiping. You've combined 
um, secular ideas of worship in a place that God has not commissioned to worship, and that's what you call worship. We know where true worship is, salvation is of the Jews. And he goes on and says then in verse 23, he says, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is telling the woman here, what he's saying is that he is soon to do a work on the cross that redefines man's idea of worship. See, to this point in history, uh, in Ju the Jews had an idea that worship takes place in Jerusalem. It must be done in the temple. You must go through the rituals. You must go through the priests. There must be sacrifices there must be these things are required if you're going to have genuine worship and Jesus is saying that there will soon come a day that worship can take place anywhere and in a more spiritual way it's not just about where you worship or what steps you take to worship he says one day very soon people will worship in spirit and in truth that's what God will be looking for in spirit, he basically by spirit, he means that you're not as concerned with places, you're not as concerned with outward rituals or the, the, the ritual cleansings that took place, the sacrifices that took place, the trappings of worship. He says there will come a time, spirit means that it won't be so much about those physical things anymore. Truth means that you'll worship according to the whole counsel of God, which includes the New Testament. And, and so the idea is that it, there will be some, a different doctrine come uh, that will replace the old doctrine and the old system of sacrifices because Jesus Christ will fulfill all of those and he will then open a new door for worship. It also, when you say spirit and truth, truth also can mean that it's no, there's no pretense. There's no faking it. It's genuine, it's sincere, it's real worship. So the woman says, where's the worship? And Jesus says, very soon it could be anywhere. Unfortunately, in our day, true worship is hard to find. You know, the Bible says that in Hebrews 11, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's what the Bible says. Most of us, if not all of us, seek our creator. The fact that you're here tonight is evidence on some level that you are seeking your creator. To what degree or what extent we seek him varies from person to person. Uh, there may be young, uh, new believers in here tonight, and, and I'm, I'm thinking about some even in here tonight, like Carl, who's recently been saved and baptized. He seeks God in a different way than maybe some of us have sought God. Uh, it, because we've been doing it a long time. For Carl, this is brand new. And so when he comes to church, uh, he's seeking in a different way than maybe I am, uh, but I hope that I have as much zeal and fervor as a new believer, as a new convert in Jesus Christ. There are some who come with zeal. There are some who come with excitement. There are some who, I'm looking at your face, you did not come with excitement tonight. Maybe your day was long at work, okay? I, it's okay, I understand. Um, though, Wednesday nights can be difficult. I mean, some of our, I mean, honestly, parents, I think we need to talk to our young people about their seeking when they come, because I think we've got, uh, we've got a good group of young people, um, but I would, I would say that as I observe your children sit in this, in this group set, setting right here, in this section, um, there are a number of them that are here because mom and dad wanted them to be here. 
And, and what I want for my kids and what you ought to want for your kids as well is that when they come and sit here, they're not doing it for me. They're coming because they're seeking God. And we ought, not be, we ought not be okay with it if our young people come and sit and they're just doing it because we're here. And we, and we can't change their hearts, but we sure can help that along. And dads, can I just mention this? Dads, uh, your, the way that you approach worship is going to make a big difference in the way your sons and your daughters approach worship. And dads, if, if you're looking for you know, kind of any excuse to maybe hang out in the foyer instead of come sit in here, then no wonder that our sons and, and our daughters, they're not real excited about coming and sitting in here either. You know, and I'm not trying to be hard tonight, but we ought to be able, as dads, we ought to be able to confront that in our own spirits. Say, so, you know what, if, if I am struggling to come sit, if I'm not excited about seeking the Lord, listen, it's not about me. I hope you'll understand it's not a personal thing with me. It is between you and God, and you're coming here to seek the Lord. That ought to be your heart. It's not just about, well, the preaching is boring. I know it's boring sometimes. I mean, I, I come in here like, man, how is this going to work? Hey, but, but fortunately, you know, the way I approach it is, and I say, I've said under a lot of preaching in my time too, the way I approach it is it doesn't really matter if it's packaged in a certain way. The truth is the Holy Spirit can take God's word and change me any service. And I ought to come with some zeal and excitement to hear from God's word. And I, I try, I don't take it personally, um, but there are times, I mean, there are hours that go into certain messages and there are times that, you know, I'm thinking, man, this person needs it. And then, man, it's a, they're checked out. Don't be that. You know, we're, we're setting a stage for our, our, the next generation, and they're following our lead. And, and men, especially dads, be in here and be engaged and come early and be responsive. I mean, those are setting the tones for the next generation um, at Eastside Baptist Church. You know, there are times that life circumstances tend to be the catalyst for us for specific, spe special times of seeking God. And what I mean by that is if things are hard, guess what? We're more likely to seek the Lord. In times that are difficult, and I mean, I think again of Gabby just recently with the news that she has and other people going through circumstances in our life. There are times when we're in those circumstances, we are seeking God. The problem is when things aren't real hard, guess what we're not doing? We're not really seeking the Lord. We, we tend to vacillate between times of nearness to and distance from God. And your pursuit of the creator will be the result of your understanding who he is and your relation to understanding who you are. Listen, when we truly have an understanding, a concept of the vast difference between us and God, you will desire to worship if you have that. And the Bible doesn't say necessarily explicitly read your bible pray every day i mean i love the song i'd love to sing it right now if we could and you'll grow 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 i think it's a great idea the bible doesn't explicitly say it there are principles that tell us we ought to seek god and be dependent on him every day but one of the great byproducts of being in god's word and seeking him every day is every day you will be reminded just how different god is from you and in knowing the difference between you and God, you will say, I've got to seek him because the difference between us is vast. And so we think, well, how could a sinful man understand or a sinful woman understand God? And that could never be comprehensive. I could never really grasp how great God is and, and the almighty power of God. We can't do it. 
But it's because of our finite ability to comprehend God and our limitations in understanding what there is to know about God that we ought to continue diligently seeking him. It's the fact that I can't really wrap my mind around God that makes me think I better seek him every day. Because if I could in one sitting sit down and understand God, then tomorrow I'd wake up and be like, okay, what next? But because I know that the difference between me and God is so vast, I can never wrap my mind around it, then tomorrow, guess what? I'm going to wake up in pursuit of that again. Because there is a a vast difference between us. And I can't hardly wrap my mind around him, but that's all the more reason to pursue him. It is a lifelong pursuit. That's worship. That's biblical worship. It's pursuing to know God. Douglas Horton wrote, man worships because God lays his hand to the dust of our experience. And man miraculously becomes a living soul and knows it and wants to worship. When you understand what God has done to save your soul, you can't help but say, I want to worship a God like that. So even with that knowledge in regard to worship... Let me ask you some questions. Is it possible that many churches advertise something they may have never done and might not ever do? Is it possible that a church could advertise and say, hey, come with us, we have worship. Is it possible they advertise that and yet actually never accomplish it? Is that possible, yes or no? Yes, it is. Is it possible that well-meaning believers who are faithful in church attendance and in diligent Bible reading and persistent in prayer, is it possible that good, solid, faithful church members are missing something for which they are created? Yes, it is. Is it possible then that we may unknowingly be withholding the worship that God desires and deserves? I would say absolutely it is possible that we are not worshiping God in the way that he desires and deserves. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not talking about motives. Now, I I believe it's possible that our motives at times aren't right and we don't necessarily want to do things the right way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about motives. I'm talking about, and, and you'll forgive me for using this term, I'm talking about, in many ways, I'm talking about ignorance and that we don't know what worship is and therefore we don't seek worship true worship because we don't have knowledge of what true worship actually is that's the reason that I think we ought to go through this together so that we don't not out of false or wrong motives but out of ignorance that we don't miss out on a lifetime of worshiping God when that's what we're called to do he seeks it he commands us to so biblical worship strengthens and deepens our relationship with the father Okay, I'm going to say that again. Biblical worship strengthens and deepens our relationship with the Father. Okay, that's the point. That's the first point. I'm just going to give it to you in that way so that you, if you're taking notes, then that'll help you. Biblical worship strengthens and deepens our relationship with the Father. Uh, like any father, our Heavenly Father wants to hear from his children. You know, God wants to hear from you. I, I'm always glad when my kids desire to be around me. I mean, it makes me feel good. Um, there are times when, I was, when my kids were little, um, I'd come home and, 
and we had a long driveway of 700 feet of gravel, okay? So we would, I would drive down it, and I was so ready to get home. Sometimes I'd fly down the gravel road, and I know my kids could hear the gravel flying, and, and they could hear the, the, the truck coming down the road. And, and so there were many times when my kids were little, I'd hit the garage door, and the garage door opener would go in. I'd open my, my, my truck door, and I would hear from the, the inside of the house, I'd hear, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy, Daddy, getting louder and louder. And I go, and many times they would open the door, and they're just jumping up and down, all of them. Daddy, Dad, because I got home. I'm telling you, nothing made me feel better than that. They were excited to see Daddy. And my girls obviously are, are older, and they're, they're not little girls anymore, but uh, very often they'll come and sit or stand next to me, and, or Lacey will grab my arm and lay her head on my shoulder, or they'll just come give me a hug, or they'll just say, I love you. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. I love it. It means a lot. I like it when Jace um, just wants to hang out with me or go with me somewhere. And um, if I say Menards, you know, I'm going to Menards. Just sometimes you got to get out of a house full of girls and just go somewhere. <laughs> Menards is the place to go, you know. And he wants to go with me when I go to Menards. Usually, though, it's funny. He's not really interested in the tools. He goes and looks at the candy. That's what he wants. You know, but he's at the age, even at a, as a nine-year-old, that if daddy does it, I want to do it. And there are plenty of times with Jace that he doesn't even like what I'm doing. Um, I, I, he knows I like to eat something. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll eat that. And I look at him, and he's like pale. He's trying to chew it and swallow it. But, you know, it's because he loves dad. And he just lo he wants to be with me. He wants a relationship with me. And it does a parent's heart good to have children that want a relationship with them. And God wants that. He wants that from you. I mean, if we desire a, a relationship, a special relationship with God, then we must choose to worship. That is the root of, of worship, is a desire to seek a relationship with God. God wants that. And the act of worship springs from a heart of humility, the Bible says. It, meaning that when we have a heart of humility, that's what God is looking for. Uh, he is, he's not looking for someone that's got all the worship down and all the rituals down. No, he's looking for someone with humility. In Isaiah 57, 15 and, and, and those verses like that, that's what he's looking for. Somebody that is of a humble and contrite heart. And see, his response to our humility is closeness. He sees our humility and he wants to be close. Have you ever been around somebody who had such a spirit of humility that you just, man, I just want to be around them. Their humility is, it really is a mag magnetic. And, and that's the way it is with God in that he, when we take a step of humility, he responds to that. And draw nigh to God, he says, and James wrote in James 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's kind of like, um, you know, mirroring somebody. And, and if I was to, you know, bring somebody up here, I'm not going to do that because, but if I was to bring somebody up here and just they make a mirror what I'm doing, you know, do all these, I would do a backflip and stuff, just easy stuff, and just see if they could do it, you know. But one thing that I would do is let's pretend like you're in a mirror and somebody's over there and they, you take a step like this. And if I take a step like that, they would take a step toward me because I took a step toward them if there's a mirror right in between us. You know, that's how it works with God. When you take a step of humility, he responds with a step of proximity. When you take a step of humility, God responds with a step of proximity. In other words, he responds to our humility with a desire to get closer. 
And sometimes we were like, we were wondering, how is God so far away? And why do I feel like I can't reach him and he's not listening to my prayers? Well, when's the last time you truly humbled yourself before God? I mean, on your face before God, uh, in worship, in, in humility, in confession of sin, just worshiping. See, God responds to humility with proximity. I just think about worship. Probably nobody worshiped like Abraham did. I remember going through the book of Genesis um, last year and the year before and the year before. And Abraham, though, in his life. And it seems like everywhere Abraham went, what did he do? Do you remember? He built an altar everywhere. God calls him from the early Chaldees. He gets to one place where he's going um, after a stop in Haran. And, and it says that there were Canaanites there. The Bible says he stopped and built an altar in Genesis 12. A couple verses later, he takes another step and follows God to another place. The Bible says he, he built an altar. I mean, over and over and over, Abraham built an offer, altar, and it was usually after something had happened. So it wasn't like, oh God, give me, give me, give me. It was an altar of gratitude, and it was an altar of sacrifice. It was an altar of surrender. It was an altar of worship. Anytime that Abraham wanted closeness, he worshiped. And God responds to Abraham's closeness with, with his proximity. He, he draws closer. Listen, it's not about, I mean, like the heathen, uh, Jesus talks about the heathen in their worship, in their prayer. They, they do it with much speaking, he says in Matthew 6. And sometimes I think we think that worship, um, it, real worship comes with much speaking. We say all the right words and we do all the right things and we have all the right rituals that that's worship. No, the first absolute first step of worship is humility. And as we take a step toward God in humility, he responds with a step toward us in proximity. That's where worship starts, seeking God. Uh, the second principle to mention tonight is this, biblical worship and a thriving relationship with our creator are available to anybody. Biblical worship and a thriving, abundant life relationship are, with our creator are available to anybody. Listen, it, even, even with a sketchy past, you know, you don't have to be perfect to worship. I'm thankful that closeness with God isn't dependent on my success or failures. See, any Bible reader knows about Abraham, he was not perfect. He had a lot of failures in his life. But even with a special relationship to the Lord, and even though he had the ear of God and he was listening to God, Abraham had failures in his relationship with God. I mean, going to Egypt and um, I'm taking uh, Hagar and all of those things. And, you know, in spite of those, those things, God received his worship. And, and God did not require perfection from Abraham, nor does it require perfection from you he simply seeks humility on your part. It's amazing that the perfect, sinless God of heaven desires a relationship with us, not based on our ability to be perfect, but based on our, our decision to be humble. He's willing to have a relationship with us sinners, even though he knows our failures and he knows our imperfections. I think about, and I'm, we, just for time's sake, we're not going to read all these, but Matthew 15, uh, there's a woman, a Canaanite woman, the Bible says, and she comes after Jesus and she's crying and she's yelling out for him and seeking him. She said, Jesus, help me, help me. And the, but she's, just remember, she's a Canaanite. She's not even a Jew, okay? So Samaritans, so Jew, Jew, Jews were up here. Samaritans were down here. Canaanites would be down here. 
She, she, you know, she was lower than the low. She comes after Jesus, you know, hear me, crying after him. The disciples are like, send her away. She's bothering us. And the Bible says that in Matthew 15, she came to Jesus and she, she fell at his feet and worshiped. And his response to her coming up to him and worshiping is, he said, you have great faith. He says, your daughter is healed. Uh, it was a daughter, she had a daughter that was possessed. He says, your daughter is healed basically because you have such great faith. Listen, that was a woman uh, who did not have a relationship with God. She did not have a background of church. She was a Canaanite woman. But when she came in humble worship, bowing before him, God in the flesh, Jesus, can hardly help his response. And I, I don't mean that in a trite way. I'm not saying that he was being led and he didn't have control. I mean, his, his response to humility is closeness. He wants to answer and this Canaanite woman didn't deserve to have anybody listen to her prayer, but Jesus Christ did. And I just want to tell you this, um, biblical worship is available to anybody. It's available to you. And it doesn't matter your past. If you can be humble, you can worship. Now, one thing to, to understand as we get through this, uh, that biblical worship, though, is not just seeking things from God. It's not just coming to him and asking. Uh, he, notice with that woman that came after him in Matthew 15 and was crying to him, he did not respond to her requests. He responded to her worship. So it wasn't just about what she was asking. It was her spirit. It was her posture of humility. See, all of us have needs. You have needs. I have needs. And God is very accommodating. He is able to meet those needs. And he's the only one and only father who has the ability and unlimited resources to meet our every need. But that does not change the fact that there should be a special time in your relationship with God during which you place all of your needs aside and you simply come to God and honor him for who he is, not just what he can give you. There should be a time in your prayer life, in your time alone with God, that you're not saying, oh God, give me, oh God, please give me, Father, I need this, God, give me this. It's not always about what God can give you. That's not worship. Worship is not this. Give me, give me, give me. Worship is this. I'm giving you praise. I'm simply lifting up your name. I'm just talking about who you are. Listen, you can't buy God anything. You can't provide something for him that he doesn't already have. It's like the person in your life that you always draw at Christmas in your family that's got way more money than you and they have everything they need. I mean, try buying a gift for somebody like that. And it's like the person that you say, well, I'm going to buy them a gift. And, and everyone else is like, well, but they just go, if they need it, they just go get it. Uh, that's kind of like what it is for God. You can't buy your way to closeness with God. All God wants from you is worship. All he wants from you is humility. And he will readily receive it even from a sinner, even from somebody with a past that people would look down on. I mean, just imagine if your children only came to you when they need something. If all they ever did was come to you when they had a need, that would be empty. Not when they're young and they're toddlers. I mean, that's basically what they do. But imagine when they're 16, if they're still only coming to you when they need something from you. You know how empty that would be? It would not be a satisfying relationship at all. But just to have them come and desire you, that is a relationship worth having. Biblical worship, in a nutshell, biblical worship is seeking God. 
And one of the most amazing statements about Abraham, we, it was found in James 3.23. It says, the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for, imputed unto him for righteousness. And the Bible says, and he was called the what of God? The friend of God. You know, I'm thankful to have a lot of good friends in my life. And there are some of my friends, they're as close as family. I mean, you know what I mean by that. You probably got people like that in your life, friends that are as close as family. But it's hard to feel worthy of claiming the title, the friend of God. I would never put that on my door. I'm thankful that I have the title pastor on my door. I'm grateful for that title. I, I'm very thankful for that. But I would, I would feel very unworthy to, to bestow upon myself the title friend of God. You know, we certainly desire that to be said of us, don't we? I, I would love for God to say, I'm, yeah, he's my friend. But only the Father can bestow that distinction on a person. On the other hand, he is, God has certainly been a friend to me. One major characteristic of friendship is communication. You know, each has the other person's ear. Listen, if you're not a good listener, you're not a good friend. Good friends listen. That's what they do. That's the, in my opinion, communication is the basis of good friendship. Abraham listened to God. I believe that God listened to Abraham because of, Abraham was willing to listen to God. And I believe it's because Abraham prioritized worship. He came seeking God. He was seeking that relationship. He didn't just, listen, Abraham didn't just come, wouldn't have just come to church. Abraham came seeking God. Abraham uh, didn't just show up on Wednesday night. I mean, I, I know what it's like. I do. I mean, you're, you're in work mode. You're in busy mode. I mean, you barely make it on time. I get it. I know. But Abraham, the way that he was, he wasn't coming uh, out of habit. He wasn't coming to get something. He was coming because he simply was seeking God. He knew who God is, and that was enough for Abraham. And God blessed him for his continuous worship. And we all face times in life where God's the only one who can actually help us. But in those times, you know, we're going to wish that we had already been in the habit of seeking God. You ever had something, I mean, just something big happen, and you're thinking, man, for two weeks I haven't really walked with God. It's like I almost feel like I have to start over before I can really start seeking him to help me with this. Well, wouldn't it be better the next time that something goes down that's not good, that you already have God's ear and he already has yours? And, and then he knows that you're not coming to him just because life is hard. That because you proved yesterday that you come to him just because you want to know him. And then when life gets hard, it's not unnatural or out of the ordinary for you to seek your father. As a summary here today, God seeks people to worship him. That's what we learned in John 4. He is worthy and he's deserving of our worship. Worship deepens our relationship with God. Worship's available to any of us, no matter our past. And all worship is, is seeking God. So friend today, where's the worship? It's, I mean, it, 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 everything about it benefits us. Uh, he doesn't ask us to give him anything. <laughs> I mean, think about it. There's some religions in which if you are a part of that religion, if you want to worship, man, you have to come and basically pay an entrance fee. And, you know, and yeah, you come to tithe, but you don't have to tithe to worship. I believe tithe is part of worship. I believe when we give, we're, that's a part of our worship. But listen, if you came with nothing and you came humbly, God would receive it. 
All God is looking for in worship is for you to seek him. When's the last time that you simply just worshiped? Just stopped without asking for anything. You simply sought your father. I mean, being faithful and being obedient, that's good. I'm thankful for it that that's not worship. I mean, coming to church is good, but you can come to church and not worship. True worship comes from a desire to passionately seek God for who he is. Not asking, seeking. Jesus readily receives our worship and he responds to it accordingly. So where's the worship? Let me just ask you a few questions. Where are you on your journey to biblical worship? I mean, have you ever worshipped? Is that something that's ever been a part of your life? Do you desire a deeper relationship with your Heavenly Father? I would say that most people in here would say, yes, I do. Are you growing to the point in your spiritual life that that you purpose to seek Him, not for what He can give you, but for what you can, what you, how you can grow in your knowledge of him. It's not just about what you get from him. It's, a, it's about a relationship. Would you say that you have the ear of God? Meaning, when's the last time that you prayed and you knew that God was listening and that you and God had a relationship of depth? Most importantly, does your heavenly father have your ear? When you come and you hear the word preached... Uh, Are you listening intently and trying to evaluate where your life compares to what's being preached? Because I can tell you this, if if God doesn't have your ear, the chances of, of you having God's ear are probably not very high. And you must take a step before God will take his step. So when he communicates through his word, either at home or at church, do you listen and obey? Is there open communication between you and the Father like a person has with their closest earthly friend? The question again tonight, where's the worship? My prayer is that God can say, I find worship at Eastside. And I don't just mean in our services. I mean the people of Eastside are worshipers. And, and we heard in John 4, it's not about the place. I mean, do you know you can worship at home? You know, I mean, it may be physically harder to do this, but you know, you can probably, you can worship in your car. Now, we'll talk about the posture of worship, and it may not be all that we think it is, but I think you could worship, according to Jesus, you could worship just about anywhere. You don't have to be at church to worship, but I do believe that God expects people that come to church to worship. So, if, if, if where's the worship? I would hope that God would say, I can find worship at Eastside. It's in their homes. It's with their families. It's at the altar. I mean, it's during the prayer time on Wednesday nights. It's real. It's meaningful. It's spirit. And it's truth. And so we're going to keep looking at what it means to worship. But for now, I want you just to ask yourself this. If God is looking for worship, will he find it with me? If God is looking for worship, does he find it? In my life. Let's stand. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. I want to just take a few minutes to seek the Lord about this. You know, I would hate to go through my life and realize that worship never played a role in my worship. 
that I was going through the motions. You know, the Pharisees, they thought that they had worshipped. They thought they were worshipping. And yet, they found out very quickly from Jesus Christ that it wasn't true worship. And I'm not saying you're a Pharisee. I'm, but I can tell you this, the longer you've been in it, the easier it is to be like a Pharisee. And that we go through the motions and worship the, what God is seeking isn't happening because God is seeking people that seek him. Not people that just come to church. Not just people that fill a pew, but people that seek the Lord. Are you seeking the Lord through worship? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.